Hey, it's One Hit History, and I'm your host, Sloane Spencer. Thanks so much for finding us. We had a great conversation in store for you today with Holly G of the Black Opry. Quick note about the audio. We were not aware until editing that there was some echo going on. We've done our best to fix it afterwards, but we do apologize, and the problem has been fixed for the future. Thanks for listening. Hey, y'all, this is Sloan Spencer, and you found us at One Hit History. You might know me as the founder of the pioneering long-form Americana podcast called Country Fried Rock, which these days is really just sort of my online Twitter persona. One Hit History asks music people, what's your favorite one hit wonder? This has been my favorite backstage conversation for nearly 25 years. It always brings up incredible deep conversation and connections with music. And it's a nice short story because the person that we're chatting with today, I found via Twitter, which has the great retweet feature and amplifies incredibly important content sometimes. And I got lucky with this one. We're chatting with Holly G of Black Opry. Going to have Holly tell you more about what they have going on these days. And if you are not already following them, stop by blackopry.com ASAP. Hey. Hey. <laughs> Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Tell me what you're up to these days. And that's really a good tale. Yeah. I just started Black Opry actually in April of this year. Is it still 2020? Yeah. And everything kind of like spiraled out of control in the best way. I had all these plans like two or three years down the road and everything that I had planned for so far away has begun to happen. We just did Americana Fest back in September and we rented a house and we invited everybody that was a Black person in country music, BIPOC, queer people, anybody that was sitting on the outside of the Nashville table. We invited everybody over and everybody jammed out, hung out, made connections. And three days later, after leaving Americana Fest, I got a call from Lizzie No, who's one of the artists that I cover and she's amazing. And she was like, hey, can we do a show in New York? So we did our first Black Opry review on October 5th in New York. And since that show, we've actually just booked another show. So December 18th, you are the first person I'm announcing this to. December 18th, we're going to be at the Exit Inn in Nashville. So we're super excited about that. I just got like full body goosebumps on all of that. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been, you know, a wild ride. My whole, you know, connection with country music has been very strained over the years as a black woman who loves country. I never saw myself in it, so I haven't been able to interact with the culture very much. So to launch Black Opry as a place, mainly just for me to be able to stop bugging my friends about country music. <laughs> and now all of these people have shown up. During Americana Fest week, I got to have lunch with Leslie Fram from CMT, and I grew up mm -hmm. watching CMT. So it's just like everything has come full circle, and it's been super, super cool. And, you know, for as many people as there are that are kind of gatekeeping country music, I've been lucky to find the few that are trying to make it a better place. So we've been teaming up with those guys and we're kind of knocking down doors. That is fantastic. So in my day job life, I spent 10 years working in pop country radio. And I have zero background in country music. I did not grow up with country music. I would not describe myself as a fan of country music. And so I really had to learn a lot of this. And the specific tweet that led me to finding you 
was related to a subject and a song that I knew nothing about. Well, let me take that back. I knew the song, but I didn't know this version of the song. So Rissy Palmer, I believe, amplified the story of Linda Martell. Can we talk about this song? Is this going to be your one hit wonder? Yes. First of all, I just want to say Reese Palmer, I call her the patron saint of the Black Opry because I did not know there were so many people of color working in country music until I discovered her. And I also discovered Linda Martell through Reese Palmer. Reese has an Apple country radio show called Color Me Country, which is mm-hmm. named after Linda Martell's one album that she was allowed to make during her time in Nashville. Full circle. <laughs> yeah, this is such an amazing story. I didn't know this story at all. Now, I knew that song, though, because I've lived in South Carolina most of my life. And the version of that song by the Winstons of Color Him Father mm-hmm. is to this day very, very popular in the South Carolina beach music scene. So I grew up mm. with that version of that song imbued in my head and my body. And it'll make me cry every time I hear it. There's just something about the lyrics are just incredible. Mm-hmm. Richard Lewis Spencer wrote that. He, the interesting part of this story is how Linda Martell came to record Color Him Father. I've been wondering about that because I discovered the song through Reese as well. I was not familiar with Linda Martell at all. I wasn't either. As far as I knew before, like this past year, the only Black people I knew that had anything to do with country music were like Darius Rucker, Kane Brown, and Jimmy Allen, and Mickey Guyton. Those were the only ones I knew and I started researching and that's what actually led me to start Black Opry because I was like, there's no centralized location for this information. And I found Reese and I followed along with what she was doing. And when she, when I heard the story of how she named Color Me Country her radio show, I started looking into Linda Martell more. There's something about that song. She has like a push and pull in her voice and it's almost like hypnotic It just sounds like a little wave throughout the song, and I just love it. And I wondered, was that, it's because the way she sings it, it sounds like it's something very personal to her. Um, Doesn't it? Then I realized it was a cover, but I don't know the story to the cover, so I'm really excited to hear that. So this one is fascinating, and as I said when we were first talking, I I have known the Winston's version of this song my entire life. Never heard of Linda Martell, never heard her take on it until this whole Twitter exchange came up, and I went and listened to it. And Linda Martell's voice, this is, it's a beautiful country take on it. And I love cover songs that become their own thing, which is exactly Mm -hmm. what this one does. It's a beautiful 1970 take, very country, but very accessible. And her voice, it does, it pulls you in and it lets you go and it pulls you in and it lets you go. And the story, just if this song doesn't make you cry, there is something wrong in your heart. (laughs) I mean, every time I hear it, it's just in her voice just brings something so fresh and new to it. And I was like, I have got to start learning about this. And the first thing that I discovered as I started Googling her back when this whole exchange was going on, they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, she lives in South Carolina. And I was like, shut the front door. I have lived here most of my adult life and I have never heard of her. Nobody is amplifying what she did. What's going on? And so I started looking into it. And what I first found was her so things don't necessarily go in what would be the logical order. The first thing I found was her granddaughter was in the process of trying to raise funds for a documentary to highlight yeah. Linda Martell's life. And yeah. by the way, y'all should look that up because it's still in process. There have been some funds that came to it from CMT. We'll talk about the CMT connection in a minute. But the granddaughter is Marquita Thompson, and you can just kind of Google their names and that GoFundMe will come up. 
So Linda Martell grew up in Batesburg, Leesville, South Carolina, which is even now extremely rural. It's only about 45 minutes outside the capital of Columbia, but it is a very, very rural part of our state. And she grew up singing gospel music and R&B music. And she and a cousin and a sister started a girl group when they were in late high school and nothing happened. And someone heard her singing gospel music down It's always referred to as at an Air Force base. And given the geography, it has to be Shaw Air Force Base because that's down in Sumter, which is geographically the same part of the state, about an hour away. Mm -hmm. I don't know that it was Shaw, but it has to have been Shaw. At any rate, someone heard her singing and was like, you have got to do country music. And she really thought it was just some huckster and completely blew it off for quite some time. This person kept reaching back out to her and kept reaching back out to her. Well, turns out this person was kind of a hit maker from Nashville and was legit. And they brought her up to Nashville to record this country album. And he was a hit maker. His name was Shelby Singleton. He was a producer of all kinds of stuff with like Ray Stevens and Jerry Lee Lewis and Roger Miller, Charlie Rich. So he he was legit. And they recorded this gorgeous record. And she was on the Grand Ole Opry. She was the first Black woman to be on the Grand Ole Opry stages. And we're talking 1970 here. We're not talking 1920. Mm -hmm. Y'all, this is unbelievable. She ultimately went on to be on the Grand Ole Opry for about 12 times. Weird little side note about the Grand Ole Opry. They don't, to this day, they don't keep track of how many times people are on there. The Opry has no record of this. I find this bizarre. At any rate, she was on Hee Haw. I mean, this song was huge. It was a massive hit. But As you can anticipate, when it got time for touring in 1970, you're going to take a country singer to places like Oklahoma and Texas. And audiences were very much representative of where they really were, which was systemic, pervasive racism. And her career, in my opinion, was stymied and ultimately stifled directly because of systemic and pervasive racism of the community, the fandom, the business itself, and of the people who were actually working directly with her. Yeah, we should be saying Linda Martell's name. She should be like one of the greats. Like we should be talking about her with the same way that we talk about all of the other greats because, you know, she had that trajectory to get exactly to where all of her white counterparts went, but she just got stopped and stifled. When people are like, oh, you know, maybe she just wasn't ready for the success that she saw. I'm like, no, the record label she was on was called Plantation. Yeah, like (laughs) that was it right there. Come on, just you don't even have to say anything to her face for her to know that she is working in a racist business, a racist world. And the people right there who own the company that are supposedly amplifying the art she's making are also at the same time saying to her, yep, we own you. And they meant that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was the only relationship that they really knew how to have with Black people back then. You know, it had to be ownership. And not much has changed with that today. If you look at, you know, recently there was uh, the drama around Casey Musgrave not Mm -hmm. being eligible for country music. And the head of the label wrote a letter to the Recording Academy and basically credited Casey Musgrave with Nikki Guyton's success this year. She said, you know, my artist, Nikki Guyton, is only doing what she's doing now because of what Casey did. And I'm like, no, Casey Musgraves does not own Nikki Guyton's story. 
The president of the label doesn't own Mickey Guyton's story. Mickey Guyton is responsible for exactly all of the success that she's had based on her work and what she's done. And it's like anytime a black woman gets any type of ground or footing, the white people in the industry try to find a way to like leash it back to a white person so that they can validate it. And I'm hoping that soon we can get to a point where we're validated on our own merit and our own talent. I mean, if you look at what Mickey's done, she deserved that. And she did that on her own. The label, if she wants to talk about what they've done for her, they let her sit on the label for 10 years and do nothing. I wouldn't be bragging about that. Look at the success that she's gotten just in this year. She's brilliant. She started out, the first year she got to Nashville, she got signed. She sung at the White House. She did all of the things, and she was putting out hit songs. Why Baby Why, Better Than You Left Me came out, I think, a couple of years later. But she was writing really, really, really good music. So, you know, the fact that it took so long is a reflection of the label, not a reflection of Nikki. Absolutely. And having worked in pop country music on the radio end of this for a decade, I can speak to the fact that country music specifically does have its own world of the way it operates. And they very much control the careers of those who find success. They make it seem like there is a path. And if Mm. you do these things, that's the path. But the part that they don't tell you is that at every step of that path, there are people there that you have to be in with that will, you know, kind of pull the levers to say whether or not it goes well. And most of it is money driven. But I mean, even if you make the money, if you're not what they want to see, it's not going to work. You can't convince me that Linda Martell wouldn't have made them a ton of money, but she didn't look the way that. I agree with you so much, especially after having worked in this field for as long as I did and kind of coming at it originally as an outsider, because my experience had been in other parts of music that function similarly, but not the same. And just as a little side note, if you all have not read the actual text of what that record label executive wrote about the Casey Musgraves supposed (laughs) snub by the (laughs) Grammys, but then what she said specifically and directly and in written word about Mickey Guyton, it is shocking. It's worse to actually read the real full document. We are not making this into more than it was. I paraphrased it, it very nicely for her. Yes, you did. But it just, it, it really just like reminded me, she is doing exactly what they did. She's trying to do to make exactly what they did to Linda. She's putting her in that same context. Like this is our property and look how good it's doing now that we've drug it along with the white lady. And that's not what happened. What happened with Linda Martell's career is that the record label saw some early success with Jeannie C. Riley's Harper Valley PTA, and they basically shoved Linda Martell aside because they felt that Jeannie C. Riley was more marketable. I would bet that that's exactly what happened with the Casey and Mickey thing. Casey right. and Mickey came to Nashville right around the same time. Read between I, the lines on that one. <laughs> exactly. I, I 100% agree with this, especially having seen this happen over and over and over again with brilliantly talented folks. Looking back with the you know 51 years worth of 2020 vision, so to speak, with what happened with Linda Martell and being able to see the bigger picture of what happened, she literally was just shoved aside because she was the black lady. It's stunning. Yep, yep. It's so interesting to me how such an important, not only event, but the multiple events that being on Hee Haw was a big deal. Being, I mean, multiple visits and being on the stage of the Grand Ole Opry, having a number one hit. These things are really, really big deals in and of themselves. But the fact that those stories can be squashed and swept aside so easily as well is really shocking. Yeah, I think that reflects back on what you said about it being important for 
you know, the Grand Ole Opry to collect data because it makes me wonder, like, how many other Black country stars we could have had because I'm sure that she's not the only one that got pushed aside that way. The narrative has told us that country music is a very conservative white genre, but the more research that I've done over the past year, the more things I've learned. Black people started it. Mm -hmm. The white people that we know to be the pioneers of country music learned all of it from Black people. So I have a hard time believing that there were no Black people that were actually pushing themselves forward as artists. We just don't have the record of it. Southern art and Southern music specifically had community bases and how they started and then what happened when they became commercialized and how that changed. And a lot of it is that the commercial structures very intentionally left Black people out of the story. Oh, of course. We're not marketable. I want to be sure that y'all go and check out Linda Martell's take on Color Him Father. It is a gorgeous song originally released in 1970. The album, as we said, it was called Color Me Country, which is also the honorary aspect of the name of Reese Palmer's radio show on Apple Radio. So y'all should definitely check all of that sort of stuff out. I want to talk real quickly about the guy who wrote the song, um, Richard Lewis Spencer. Really interesting musician guy. Started playing tenor sax with Otis Redding. His band, the Winstons, backed Curtis Mayfield for a long time. He won a Grammy for his version of this song, which I said is the version of the song that I grew up knowing. And a little bit of like music ephemera and trivia that you just might win trivia night over one night. He is the guy. His song is known for what is called the Amen Break. And if you know about music sampling, this is the most sampled drum beat ever. Which is really interesting to me because I grew up singing this particular song in church and I didn't realize that it's a relatively new song from like the early 1960s. I had no idea. So Mm. I grew up in the 70s and 80s singing this exact song in church and it's the song that's Amen. And I am not a singer by any means, but if you pull up the Winston's (laughs) Amen, you'll find it. But it's super, super famous and recognizable. So it's the same guy. It's just a really interesting connection to where music sources overlap with gospel and ultimately R&B. And obviously he spent a long time in the soul world into the funk section working with Curtis Mayfield. Absolutely fascinating. Definitely check those songs out. So tell us more about what's up with Black Opry. Man, I'm just trying to, you know, create as many opportunities as I can for all of these artists that I'm finding, because I mean, it's not just the Linda Martells that got overlooked in the past. There are tons of current artists from every decade. I've found artists, Linda Martell, there's Frankie Satan, who I've had the pleasure of meeting. And she's actually going to be a special guest at the Black Opera Review. Frankie Satan has been making music since like the 70s. And she started the Black Country Music Association back in the 90s. And they would do showcases at the Bluebird. And, you know, she kind of paved the way for everything that I'm doing right now. I didn't know that that existed when I started what I was doing. But as I started researching, you know, I figured out who she was and I met her. And I'm like, oh, my God, you are the reason that I'm able to do this because you did it all these years ago. And she's incredible. And she came and she hung out with us at Americana Fest. And it was shocking for her because we had a house full of black country musicians. And she was like, I did not think that I would see this. In my lifetime, there's so many of you guys and you're all together and hanging out. And there was so much respect and just peace and love in that room. And everybody kind of took turns playing and you could see how much they admired each other when they were playing. 
we had some of the more successful musicians, Brittany Spencer, Raina Roberts, they came by and hung out with us. And then we had people that, there was one young lady that came and that was the first time she'd ever played a song in front of anybody. Wow. And everybody was able to absorb all of that. And you could see all these different generations. Nico Marks came by and Nico came to Nashville, you know, way back in the early 2000s and tried to make a go at a country career, but she was pushed out of Nashville because she was a black woman. And now here she is 13 years later, coming back onto the scene and killing it just like she was doing before. But, you know, now it's opened up a little bit more. Uh, Reese stopped by for a little bit to have brunch with us. I mean, there was just so many different stops on the story. It felt like it was one long story. And we just had people from so many different places on that story all in that one room. Honestly, I'm not, I don't come from the music industry background. I'm a music super fan. It's always been the way that I've connected with other people and the way that I understand myself and the world around me. So I feel like I'm living like every music fan's dream right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> imagine if you find a song and you absolutely love it. And instead of putting it on repeat, you can like call the person and like ask them a million questions about it. Nobody's gotten annoyed with me yet, but that's basically what I'm able to do right now. (laughs) (laughs) Incredible. It's really cool. (laughs) Yeah. When we were first talking today, you mentioned Lizzie No. Now, I just met Lizzie No earlier this month for the first time. Saw an amazing performance. Outdoor festival, totally packed, completely silent listening to her play. You have to be. She like hypnotizes you on stage. She plays... For anybody not familiar with her, she plays the guitar, but then she also has a traveling harp. Like, I didn't even know that existed. It's like mesmerizing when she does it. We do have plans to chat with her soon on this or one of the other programs, which I also have another podcast called Bubble Bottles, where my other favorite backstage conversation with musicians is, what's your favorite carbonated beverage? Because a lot of people are obsessed with weird carbonated beverages like I am. So that's a whole nother subject. But Lizzie No is incredible, and y'all definitely need to check out her music, and she's got a new album coming. She's actually also one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life. You could not be around her and not laugh, and she makes these, like, really off-the-wall jokes with a completely straight face. She's multifaceted, and she has been such a wonderful, pivotal part of everything that we're doing. You know, I found her before I started Black Opry. I actually didn't know she was a musician when I started following her on Twitter. She just <laughs> oh, looks like really cool. I just really want to be friends with her. And then I started listening to her music and I was like, well, I'm going to have to be friends with her really fast because she's going to be famous soon. Oh, And huge. luckily she did not block me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we actually did end up being friends. She has been such an integral part of this. She hung out with us. She actually stayed at the house with us. And Lizzie is the reason why we were able to do the first Black Opry review. So I'll tell you the full story. Lizzie had a date in New York. She had two dates in New York. And one of the dates, she had another person on the bill. And the other person had to back out at the last minute. So instead of calling up, you know, she knows musicians everywhere. And I'm sure there are any number of people that would drop whatever they're doing to play a show with her. But instead of doing that, she actually called me and she said, Hey, can we do a black opera review? I want everybody that played at the house to come play with me on stage. Wow. So instead of having one other person play a set, she actually sacrificed her entire set and we took the night and we put everybody on stage in a songwriter's round like they do in Nashville and took the country music format to New York and they loved it. Amazing. 
there's a lot of video out there about that, y'all. You should definitely look it up. Yeah. Like Opry Review, R-E-V-U-E. You'll find it real quickly. Lizzie insisted on spelling it that way. It's got to be old timey. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I mean, that's just, it's such a testament to the connection that these artists all have when they're able to meet each other and be in community with each other, that they're like willing to sacrifice. You know, stage time is a big deal, especially. And she was like, no, I want to I want to do this with my community. It was amazing. Wow. But now so much has grown from that. Wow. I am a cishet, middle-class white woman who lives in the South. And one of the things that I say amongst my friends often is, you know, there are ways that you can amplify what's happening for other people. And one of the main ways you can do that is by stepping aside and letting someone else have the seat at the table. And Mm -hmm. she certainly didn't have to do that. But that's also where people like me need to be amplifying those voices. So I'm speaking here mostly to the white audience who is listening. There are times when you need to step aside and give someone else the seat at the table in order to do that. And there are opportunities that come our way where that may not initially come to folks' minds and what a difference that that can make. So keep that in the back of your minds for those of you who maintain the power and hold the power and don't realize the ways that you can improve the world by stepping aside. Yeah, Reese had um, Cam and Marin Morris mm-hmm. on one of her shows. And one of the things that they both talked about that they could do with their power is, you know, they have enough success now to where if they get booked or get offered a booking for a show and they notice it's an all white bill, they were like, we need to speak up and say, no, we need more people of color on this bill. We need more women on this bill, whatever it is to make things more diverse. And I don't think people always realize when and where they have power. Because especially as women, we're usually, you know, told any little bit that we get is a gift. So sometimes it's not second nature for us to ask for more, especially for somebody else. But that's the only way that all of us get anywhere is when we pull up the people that are oppressed a little bit further than us. And then everybody gets pushed forward. Mm, Absolutely. I agree. And I have been part of the community that did not do the right thing at different times. And I found myself creating my own situation where I was continuing to do similar things with my previous podcast in that it became the white guy podcast. And I didn't know how to undo that. So I just stopped it because I didn't know at the time how to change what I was doing. And instead, I just quit and stepped aside completely from podcasting in order to find a way that I could be much truer to what I truly believe in amplifying voices where I have the platforms and the power to do so. And so that's kind of what led to the rethinking that ultimately led to this podcast, One Hit History. But it it was a long time in coming, but some of the thoughts behind where, where I was in my growth personally. So... Holly G of Black Opry and Black Opry Review, again, going to have that incredible show in Nashville at the Legendary Exit in December 18th. You heard it here. Thank you so much for joining us today and talking about Linda Martell's country version of Color Him Father from 1970. No problem. It was so much fun. Stick around, y'all. We got lots more on the way for you with other podcasts. If you want to find some outtakes from our conversation, you can find them at patreon.com slash one hit history. All of our podcasts are available in your favorite podcast locations. Go ahead and subscribe and give us those five-star reviews. Believe it or not, they make a huge difference. 
by the music from the artists that we have talked about today, Brittany Spencer, Raina Roberts, Miko Marks, Racy Palmer, Lizzie No, and many others. And of course, go back and look for that Linda Martell record, Color Me Country. This has been One Hit History with Holly G of Black Opry. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Jacob Fur for our theme music. You can find his catalog at jacobfur.bandcamp.com. That's J-A-C-O-B-F-U-R-R.bandcamp.com. Thanks so much for our graphic design and logo from Keith Brogdon. You can find his work at thinkingoutloud.design.com. Our show notes are crafted by freelance writer April Blake, who you can find at theaprilblake.com. 